Welcome to the Intentional House Podcast. Here, it's all about creating beautiful homes that actually help families love better. Here's your host, the home coach herself, Carly Thornock. What's up, homies? So glad that you are here. This is the Intentional House Podcast, where we just really love to make everything about your house feel like a brain explosion. And today I have a really fun thing going on for you. I have my lovely husband, Chase with me again. We have a lot of fun talking about uh, stimulation set points and our nervous systems and how our biology and our home environment collide. I know that you guys love it when I have Chase on the show. And so we decided to do another podcast episode together. So here we are. Have a have a lovely time listening to the the ramblings of the Thornox (laughs) about the home and about our autonomic nervous systems. Welcome, Carly. So glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that I'm here on your show because this is a joint podcast. Yep, that's totally true. I was going to say, I'm glad that you're here too. Yes. Because. <laughs> Thank you. Usually so, when we're doing a podcast, it's more like, we're glad you're alive, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> we're glad that you're here, period. So you're my guest and I'm your guest. We're, we're guest guests. Yeah. That's fun. That's good. Okay, high sensitivity. So, Cartley has her master degree. Did I say that right? I usually say master's degree, but it's master degree. Master's? Oh, okay. Well, master's degree in um, marriage, family, and human development. And she wrote the research on some of these things, and especially when it came to high sensitivity. As a matter of fact, she had the privilege of being able to put you know, grade age kids in different laboratory experiments, like putting Velcro on their, the nape of their neck to measure how stressed that made them. Did that make you stressed to watch that? Mm, yeah, but it wasn't for very long. And right, right. we You're were with like their like moms watching them. Yeah. 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 No, no. So it was a really safe situation. Of course. Um, and it wasn't anything that hurt them. It was just like a scratch, a scratch on the back of their neck, like a scratchy tag is what kind of what we were trying to simulate a little bit. Um, yeah, it was a little bit stressful, but more than anything, it's just so fascinating to me. I love it. I could have, I could have watched them all day. It sounds fascinating to me. So for my audience who hasn't had an introduction to this yet, what, how would you describe this concept, sensitivity? Sensitivity. Okay, so the way that our bodies work with our environments is that we usually, through our senses, we experience the world around us. So all of our senses and even our emotions, which are generated by our thoughts. So I'm going to say there's like six, six inputs here where we tap into the environmental world around us, specifically our homes is what I studied. So visually, tactily, taste, auditorily, all these ways we are taking into our, our, our bodies, our, our minds, what's going on. And for some of us, our neurology is programmed so that a certain level of stimulation feels boring and a certain level of stimulation feels like too much over stimulating. And so depending on where you sit on your thresholds is what I call them. Um, depending on that, that will determine how you feel comfortable in which environments you feel comfortable in. So this is why some people are like, I hate clutter. I can't have clutter around. It's so distracting to me. And other people are like, what clutter? 
I couldn't care less. I can't see any of it. Um, a lot of it has to do with our conditioning, but I would say like most of it has to do with our conditioning, especially over time, especially, um, with our childhood experiences, specifically with our families of origin. Um, meaning like if your mom ran a very tight ship and everything was always clean and she always made sure that you knew everything was clean and you knew how to clean everything. And she was particularly high sensitive about certain things. You likely will be too, because that's how you've been trained. But the, the goal here, as you're figuring out your sensitivity levels and your stimulation levels, you just want to be aware of what's going on in your body in certain environments, because there are a couple of things we can do once we understand where you're starting. But the first, the first thing we always have to do is just recognize where you are, where you're starting and what like your, your default stimulation set point is. I love that. And it's different for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's different. Different from one time of day to another time of day in the same person or throughout the life cycle in one person. Hmm. That's great. So typically, as we come to learn, I myself am a high sensitive. I tend to take in a lot of information. And there's research out there that suggests that people who are high sensitives take take in or I guess maybe are unable to ignore up to 70% more of that stimulation information than other people are able to. Um, yeah, your body is telling you that the details are very, very important and that you need to um, <coughs> tune into them. You need to have your attention on them. You need to attend to so many details at a time. Often, this is a trauma leftover kind of delight where... Delight, I like that. Where like you, you see the world as a little bit more scary. Just by default. And that could have been for a million different reasons. But every little detail you need to be attending to. And so you are. You're visually attending. You're tactily attending. You're auditorily attending. You're interpreting. Your brain is going. Your emotions are going. All of it is going all of the time. And so you probably prefer a simpler, quieter place. Because Mm. you have to attend to less But the invitation that I extend to my clients and to my students and that I'd love to extend to the what magnificence homies as well is that we can train our autonomic nervous systems and our brain to work together to see the environment as whatever level of threat we decide to see it at. I love it. I love it. And I think that's the important thing to get across here is to understand that when your environment is exceeding that set point right? That optimal stimulation level. Generally, the body perceives that as a threat. Mm-hmm. And it will go oh, into yeah. fight or flight mode, right? Hmm. So what are some things that people can do if they're high sensitives or if they think they may be? I feel like you should probably answer this question because this is where your realm of like personal expertise comes in. Yeah. Well, I, I think the first step is awareness, right? Becoming aware that you have lower sensitivity, lower stimulation needs before you hit an optimal set point. Okay. And then as you start to go above that set point, um, you need to start to feel it. I think that's the most tempting thing is when you start to feel that uncomfortable sort of buzz is at least that's how I, how I experience it. There's stuff that you got to do. There's things that you got to get done. And so you tend to dissociate from it. It's an uncomfortable push through, push through, right? So you shove it down, you ignore it, and you just continue on. 
and the body soldiers on for a while until it can't anymore, right? And then it just starts shutting down systems and or responding as if there's a real physical threat by producing inflammation and otherwise, which has the tendency to shut down your body anyway, because now all of a sudden your resources are being spent on inflammation instead of whatever task you were trying to get done in the first place. So I think that awareness piece is huge, really, really huge. And then I think the next piece of that is to recognize how environmental stressors destroy your buffers. I call them buffers, right? This, this, um, this area where your optimal set point, you can kind of push up into that higher stimulation level and still be okay. You have more of a wiggle room as opposed to if you're having environmental stressors of, I mean, it could be anything, right? It could be psychological and perceived. It could be dietary. It could be, you know, bad food, um, even, even toxic things, right? As you push into that, those buffers shrink and you have less of an opportunity to even, you know, to address it or become aware of it before it kind of takes over your body. Mm -hmm. So tell us about homes. Tell us about how that fits into it. And I, I love the approach that you take with thoughts, right? Like, your thoughts are what lead to the way that you feel. And thoughts can also lead to changing of your stimulation set point, can't they? Yeah, totally they can. Because your thoughts lead to the reprogramming of your neurology. So whatever thoughts you uh, reiterate over and over, this is the neuropathway that you're going to be executing. So with, well, I like to teach it how... Thoughts are like slippery slopes, slippery slides, right? Just like a big slide, like shoots and ladders style where you get an input into your brain and you have a thought about it. And you're, if you're playing tag on the playground, <laughs> we have little kids, so we do this on the daily. And you're at the top of the playground and somebody's it and they come after you up the stairs. Like you don't really think about it. You just like launch yourself down whatever slide is closest. And this is kind of how your thoughts go too. So you have your, your input and then you launch yourself down whatever thought you are familiar with. And often for the high sensitive, that will be like panic. Something's wrong. There's, there's too much going on. I'm overwhelmed. And I, I want to point out here that when you say thought, I use the term conditioning, right? It's same the, thing. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. I guess I point that out because you may not be aware oh, no. initially of the thought, right? Usually we think of thoughts, at least I used to, of things that are front of mind. But these aren't front of mind things. These are just conditioned pathways that fire. Yeah, just cognitions. So they can be conscious or they can be unconscious, subconscious, all the consciousnesses. You can, they don't have to be an intentional thought. So we have lots of unintentional things going on in our lives. The, this is our conditioning. Hmm. This is our default mode. These are our belief systems. This is like what our parents did. So we just naturally do. It's what we've done for forever. So we just keep doing it. And until we get to the bottom of the slide and we're like, wait, how did I get here again? Do we realize like, oh, I took that same slide. Hmm. I took that same slide. So with our houses, we find ourselves at the bottom of the slide a lot because we're at our houses so much. Like the conditioning around our homes is so strong and so generationally thick, which is a huge blessing because if we had to intentionally think through everything we needed to do and all the reactions we needed to have around our home every day, I mean, that alone would make everybody go crazy. Mm. So we just need to sometimes just know that like there's dishes in the sink and they need to get done and we just kind of do them without thinking about it. 
But also when we're finding ourselves caught up in a negative thought pattern, a negative result pattern, we want to we want to back it up and reconsider what we are making the stimulation mean. Mm-hmm. So what are we making it mean that the kids are noisy? What are we making it mean that there's confetti cut from all the computer paper in the house strewn down the stairs? Like hypothetically, what are we making it mean? That's like every day. <laughs> what are we making it mean that half the lunch goes in the stomachs and the a quarter of the lunch goes on the clothes and the other quarter goes on the floors and it just is a lot of crumbs. Like what are we making that mean? And I know that mealtimes are something that you and I have talked about a lot, Chase, because you kind of have come to recognize your sensitivity levels around mealtimes, like mm-hmm. how loud somebody's chewing, mm-hmm. um, who, what forks are touching plates and how things are visually and, and tastefully <laughs> mm-hmm. um, presented. And when we got married, we recognized very quickly <laughs> that I have a much lower threshold of sensitivity to taste in particular Chase would be like, this needs a little bit more oregano. This needs a little bit more salt. And I was raised by a wonderful, loving man who didn't really care about the minute. I don't know. How would you describe this? Like, <laughs> My dad loves to cook and he's a great cook. Um, but details like aren't his specialty. And he would say that like he hates following recipes. And so do I. Mm-hmm. I, I think I value that a little bit more than he does. Um, for whatever reason, just a difference in, in preference or neurology, but Chase really can taste the difference. He is, I will be the, the, the cooker. I'm the cooker usually around our house and Chase is the, the spicer. Critic. Oh, good. Okay. No, that's like a, the, the flavor enhancer, <laughs> like usually before I'll serve a soup or something, I'll be like, Chase, we have the finishing touches because he well, can I, just tune in the dial a I lot wanna, better than I can. I want to point this out because... I think a lot of people are in that situation, right? They end up, how often are you actually married to somebody whose set point's the same as yours? Well, never, because we're all different. There's infinite number of set points, right? And they're moving around, right? So this came, this wasn't something, this took us time to figure out that it was important to us. It was important to our physiology and biology. That being said, there are changes that can be made to our thoughts to also help as well, right? Instead of focusing at that endpoint maybe focusing somewhere in the middle where what does it mean to me if something I feel like is under seasoned, right? Exactly. And, and drilling down more on those types of things. I love is it. Is it overwhelming to you if it's over seasoned? Is it completely uncomfortable that you have to flee the area if the soup is a little bit bland or whatever? Um, and what we make that mean, our thoughts about the soup <laughs> is what's going to create our feelings, which is what's going like this is where our neurology kicks in. Like mm-hmm. our thoughts are triggered by like our, our, sorry, our neurology is triggered by our thoughts, conscious or subconscious. Yeah. So, so emotions, feelings are generated by our, our limbic system. Mm-hmm. Right? And the limbic system is also responsible for activating the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, which means your thoughts lead to release of cortisol and adrenaline stress hormones. And so very directly, our feelings lead to biology. Thoughts lead to, lead to biology. Yes, absolutely. Right. Without a doubt. And you give the example of like looking in your rear view mirror and you see the flashing lights. And for somebody who doesn't know to make that mean something um, scary or potentially jail inducing, 
they don't have the same reaction. It's all about the lens. So when we're talking about the house, it's so important that we like watch our bodies because our thoughts are going to go too fast. We're not going to be able to catch them at the thought stage, but you're going to catch it in the body stage. You're going to catch it when you're in the bathroom, completely overwhelmed, like searching for the chocolate that you must have stashed somewhere. screaming at somebody or... Scrolling Instagram. Like you're just in shutdown mode. Mm -hmm. You're overwhelmed. Your kids like ask you a question and you think you're going to blow up because it's just too much. Too many questions. Too many questions. (laughs) So many questions. (laughs) Yeah. So we've all been this been this way especially around children right but we've all been this way around environments you've been in an environment where you feel like it's too much you've been in an environment where you feel like it's boring or too little or sparse or cold or warmer like all of these interpretations that we have about our houses are due to our thoughts about them so if we notice that we naturally are overwhelmed a little bit easier than maybe we would like to be then Think about how your your cognitions are working for you to produce that result, right? So like you walk into a house that you feel like is cluttered, you're making it mean something probably like, I can't breathe in here. This is messy. This maybe is unsanitary. This is, I have to take all of this in. I'm not a good person unless I notice it. I don't feel safe, so I have to protect myself. Like all of these things could be going through your brain, which are all going to produce feelings, which is going to dump chemicals for you. But you could, you can have the choice if you would like to pursue learning how to think this way, you could have the choice to think something different, such as, this isn't my problem. These things in this place are not my problem. I don't need to attend to this right now. This isn't my focus. Um, This is part of a collection and you can lump it in your brain as like a collection of bottle caps, a collection of dust, a collection, you know. And so then it becomes like a a one thing you have to visually comprehend instead of a thousand tiny things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, in the design world, we talk about it as far as like organizing where I say put all the things that are alike in the same bin and label it and then your brain only has to think about it one time. You just see bin of cars instead of five million. What are those toys called? Hot wheels. Legos. Hot wheels. There we I go. I just think of Legos as I step on them. I yes. think of other things too. And I step on, speaking of thoughts, right? Step on a Lego and see what your thoughts are. Mm, exactly. That's yep. great. So I, I kind of want to maybe rewind just a little bit and talk about this concept of our home and our families. Because like you said, when you talk about deep conditioning, Deep thought channels, uh, deep thought slides. Uh, yeah, slides. There you go. Homes and families are key to that. And I, I love the example because I experience it of going to like a family gathering. And that sibling who was the funny kid growing up takes that role again in the family environment. And you, whatever your role was, whether you were the, I don't know, the caregiver, the responsible one, or whatever it was. We tend to fall back into those roles. And oftentimes it's interesting, especially as we get older, that when we leave those family gatherings, we're like, why did I do that? Like, what was going on? Like, why did I act that way? That's not me at all. Right. And as a matter of fact, it hasn't been you for the majority of your life. You know, maybe 30 years, you haven't been that person, but we revert back because of that really, really strong conditioning. 
And the other interesting thing is when that conditioning hits, when you have those feelings, I mean, those things are bang, bang, right? When the mm -hmm. limbic system alerts, everything fires, and then you've got the chemicals in your system, then I think you pointed out beautifully, right? Like the first step, you kind of got to work backwards. The first step is to just to realize that you've got the chemicals in your system. Then you can take a step back and say, what thoughts led to those chemicals, right? And then start to make some changes on those thoughts. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it's everything. It's so fun. And especially when you can hold yourself in grace about it, that's when it really gets beautiful because so much we, so many times we feel like we're wrong. Like where our stimulation set point is, maybe we're annoyed by it. Mm. Like maybe you have a higher stimulation set point where you like more stimulation. You yeah. like to listen to music when you study and you like to be talking to three people at the same time. And can we, can, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can we, can we kind of help people understand how can they know, like, where do they fall on this scale and how can they figure it out? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just think about it like a scale of zero to 10 where, well, actually I like to think of it like a negative 10 to positive 10. So you have zero in the middle and then like negative stimulation would be like far end negative 10 stimulation is white rubber room, one texture, one color, no light, no sound. You know <laughs> what I mean? Not like even white noise. Very quiet, very non-invitational. Yeah. And then a 10 would be music, loud, colors people, of pens, people everywhere, smells. smell, somebody touching you, oh, yeah, your clothes. Like Chase is already oh, going to throw up. <laughs> He's like having geez. a hard time right here. And of course, like... There's a working stimulation set point where when you're trying to focus and getting things done, that you're going to have a different stimulation set point than when you're like hanging out with friends or when you're trying to do things with your kids. Like the, different tasks are going to require different stimulation set points. But you can kind of take it as an average of like, where am I usually? Like for Chase, obviously, he's not a number 10. <laughs> he doesn't have like a high <laughs> stimulation set point. So it's kind of interesting because high sensitive people, high sensory people, usually prefer a low stimulation. They have a low stimulation set point. So these two numbers are a little bit inverted. Hmm. That makes sense. And if you like a high stimulation set point, usually you are a low sensitive. So, um, and then... And, and there's no problem with either. Oh, no, no, no. These are not moral just, things. No, no, yeah. And we talk about... Like with our with our children, when we're thinking like he can't focus unless mm. he has a fidget spinner, or he can't sit still unless he's sitting on a yoga ball, or if there's a yoga ball in the room, he can't focus. Like he needs to have complete silence. Like knowing this about your family, about yourself, and your spouse, and your children is really going to impact what you put in your house. Yeah, because or in, a, in a bedroom, even in a bedroom, in your kitchen, in a study in an area. Office the things that we need for specific purposes, right? So if you're studying, you need the study simulation set point to be decorated for. Hmm. If you are sleeping, you need your sleep stimulation set point to be accounted for. I hear, we hear, I guess a lot of our friends, when we're talking to friends, are having a hard time sleeping. And we realize like they're watching TV in their rooms and they have a whole bunch of stuff going on in their room. Like they work in their room and all these different things where they're also trying to sleep. Like their set points might be so different that those spaces need to be physically different. Yeah, I love it. There's two other phenomenon that I want to talk about real quick. And the first is that 
there's a tendency, at least I've noticed in my life, that when I'm above my stimulation set point and it starts to feel uncomfortable, okay, and I want to disconnect from that discomfort, I don't want to feel that way anymore, oftentimes what I do is I seek out additional stimulation, right? Mm, Isn't that, that such a fascinating? fascinating thing? And usually it's in the form of like counterfeit connection. Like you mentioned, right? We go to We go to Instagram or social media. I go to the news. I don't know why that seems to scratch that itch but the news okay whatever it seems to be and at first i don't know I, I, there's kind of a dopamine hit right and maybe that's soothing to our system that feels calming to us but then eventually it just seems like we're just adding on to that pile yeah we do this to ourselves in a lot of different ways right it's a control issue so if we're if Mm, let me think. In, in college, I had a lovely roommate, a lovely woman who was trying to feel like she was depressed and very sad and she cut herself so that she could feel something. Mm. And it was fascinating to watch because it wasn't about hurting herself. It was about like feeling something, feeling something. Yeah. and being in control of the pain that she felt really. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we when we use counterfeit methods of connection, it's just us wanting to be in control. We feel out of control. And so the thing that we can control is to choose to be out of control. And then it feels like we're in control. Mm. Yeah. When really we just need to stop for a second and have self-compassion for where we're at. So mm. you know, it doesn't matter what your stimulation set point is. It doesn't matter if you've blown your barrier and you're completely whited out. It doesn't matter if you're bored to tears. There's compassion for that. Yeah, like it's I love okay. That. It's okay, and you have to start there. Like recognizing about yourself, we've talked about this a lot, you and I, and I know you've talked about this on your podcast too. Like, there's a shame element that comes up very quickly in our conditioning. Of you notice what you are, and shame for women, this is very much attached to our weight. Like, what's your weight? It doesn't matter what number you say; it's wrong. Like, you're mm. immediately going to feel like, oh, this is wrong. We're looking around and comparing ourselves to other people, but this doesn't Thoughts. matter. Yeah. Your stimulation set point is yours and yours alone. And it just exists in this one moment. Hmm. Right now, I am overwhelmed. Right now, I need something more. Period. Done. It's over. Mm -hmm. And then taking away half all the drama that we heap on top of the discomfort that we're already feeling. If, we have, um, if we're not at our step set point, if we're not on balance, then if we can take away all the drama, we'll find it's very easy to course correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of instead Look of at the news. disconnecting yeah. with something else. And that brings up the second point. And I want to contrast the two because they feel somewhat similar. But I feel like when you find your stimulation set point, generally what happens is you start to experience this sensation of flow where <clears throat> time and space become more malleable, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of lose track of that. You're You're just deeply into something that you're enjoying doing. But coinciding with that tends to be a stimulation level. And that's a much different experience, although they can feel similar than just absolutely losing yourself in social media, right? It feels that way for a time, and then there's a huge crash afterwards. In the flow, and we know this from the, the, the scientific literature, but in flow, you're releasing all sorts of neurotransmitters. There's like magical stuff that's happening in flow. And I think one way to gauge your stimulation set point is to consider what activities get you to that sense of flow. Mm. 
Um, for me, it's things like fly fishing, right? When I'm fly fishing and I'm casting a dry fly to a rising trout, I'm like tuned into that animal and that animal has a rhythm and a pace. The rhythm, the, the river has a rhythm and a pace that I can't change. I'm just trying to become a part of it, right? In order to connect <laughs> with a hook to that fish. Um, but that's flow for me. I don't know what time it is. It doesn't matter. 10 minutes could pass that feel like three hours. Three hours could pass that feel like 10 minutes. But that is, fits my stimulation set point really well. A place that's quiet, right? A place that has a natural kind of rhythm, but it's not frenetic, right? It's a slower type of pace. So I'm curious, do you think that that's, that that's something people can do to kind of determine? I think that's a great tool. I think that's totally beautiful. And I think it's amazing that that is that way for you, that you find that in that activity. And I feel like it's so unique to you in our relationship, which is really fun. If it, my first inclination as you were speaking, I was like, this is so boring. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I love that you love this and I do not. Like, I would want a friend to be talking to. I would want music in my ear. And then I could probably focus on the fish. Like, I would need a few other things going on. And those are the times you've come fishing with me. When there's a friend who's along, Uh right? And it's like a thing. Or when I have my headphones in a book. And to me, that's slightly stressful. Or I'm in a hammock and I have like something to touch and something to look at and a, a paper to write or whatever. Well, our middle son's this way, right? Mm-hmm. He was having such a hard time focusing. And once we learned this about him, all we need to do is like sh- tickle his arm. And then all of a sudden we've hit his magical set point when he's doing his math and he can focus on doing his math. Yeah, right? it's fun. Instead of find, trying to find more stimulation. It's a tool. And we want to recognize that tools are helpful but they are not the problem solver yeah so the i, w- I want to say it that brings awareness the tool it brings, brings awareness. awareness the tool can bring awareness and give you some paths to explore but what's going to be really cool is when you can figure out how to feel safe in any stimulation set point so for me to sit on the bank of the river and watch you fly fish and try to like see the fish and look at the fish for longer than 10 seconds. <laughs> like it takes a slowing down of my body. It takes an awareness of something beyond just stimulation for stimulation's sake. It invites me to become a different part of myself that is something that I value. And I get, I feel like I connect this way through yoga, which is slow and rhythmic and breath oriented, but it's an intentional slowing down. Mm. And if I come into it with the mindset of this is good for me, this is for me, there's always going to be something for me. And you've had to learn this on the other side too, of when we have three crazy, amazing children, you can feel safe around them, but it wasn't always that case. Can you speak to that? Oh yeah. I mean, It's just the awareness thing. Like, that's such a huge piece of all of this. You know, I just had this model in my head that when you have children, you take care of them no matter what, right? Like, it's not about you, it's about them. And so my body was just going fight or flight all the time with them. As I ignored and soared past that stimulation set point, wasn't able to say no, you know, and just continued into that realm. And then my body broke down, my mind broke down. And I wasn't able to help anybody, right? And so becoming aware of that has been so crucial because at first it was, oh, I'm overstimulated. I need to take a break, 
And that's hard to do. It's hard to say no. It's hard to take a break when you need it. But once that happened, then the awareness starts to rewind even further, right? So then I'm aware in the moment when my body wants to trigger to fight or flight. And I have a split second before it does, right? And in that split second, I have choice. Mm-hmm. Without that split second, there's no choice being made. And that choice generally revolves around two things, right? I'm either going to disconnect, run away from this thing, or I'm going to connect with my body, right? And when I connect with my body and breathe generally and communicate to my body that it's safe, then I avoid the chemical dump to begin with, right? And then I set myself up for having more available energy, more available stimulation, and I'm more present, right? Because of the way, like you say, I'm choosing to think about the situation. Mm, Well said. Right. And so now you can be in much more stimulation-heavy environments much more easily, not because it's easy for your body necessarily, but because you've trained yourself to not be threatened by the stimulation. Right. And my body is more adaptable. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the key definition of adaptability. And so by training and becoming aware of your autonomic nervous system, it becomes adaptable. Yes, sir. Which means it shifts quickly. Mm-hmm. If it does go fight or flight, it can go rest and digest. If you do need extra energy, you go fight or flight, right? Like you can access it and switch it. The problem is, is when it accesses that fight or flight and then it just stays there. Mm. Right? It's not yes. adaptable. It just hovers right in that area. And the body eventually just has no more resources to focus on anything else. And you end up in adrenal fatigue and collapse. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of information there, right? No, it's and so I good though. I think for people who are just beginning this journey, right, hopefully there's some information that sparks some stuff there. But I also think sometimes that can be overwhelming. When it comes to their homes or their families, what's one thing that they can do tomorrow to help them either build this awareness or, or just start this process of unwinding some of this conditioning, some of these thoughts that have been pervasive and hidden? I think the first step is noticing that your brain isn't you. This is a really big step. Someone who talks about this that I really love to listen to is a man named Eckhart Tolle, and he's so good. And his audiobook is Chase's favorite thing in the whole entire hey, world hey, to listen to. Hey, talking about set points, this is funny because Carly <laughs> loves it, right? But talk about understimulating, right? I listen to that guy, I'm like, which is funny. You'd think I'd love that in a, in a white rubber room. We should try it again. Now that you've been practicing yeah, your true. adaptability, I bet you'd good like point. it more. Um, but he talks about being able to see yourself and... I, both at the same time. Hmm. So noticing that your your thinking brain is different from your observing brain. And... Whoa, whoa, stop for a second. Mm-hmm. I just need to chew on that. Your thinking brain is different from your observing brain. Yeah, that your default thinker. The one that's going to walk into a room and be like, this is overwhelming, my kids are crazy, I have so much to do, blah, 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 at home, The right? monkey brain, yeah. Okay. Your monkey brain is mm-hmm. different from your like frontal cortex, which is the one that can, if if it has the training to come on board while your your limbic brain is going crazy, it can be like, I see you. I see you, brain that's spinning, offering me all these thoughts about how we're not safe, how we need to go back into the cave and never come out of our bedrooms again because this world is chaos and madness and ugly and it looks nothing like Pinterest or HGTV or anything else. 
I'm so embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. Like you can see your brain spinning out and you can kind of pet it like a small little child or your puppy dog and being like, <laughs> it's okay. You're just having a little freak out for a minute. But it's not you. All of the sudden, you is watching the brain. You have a watcher and you have a thinker. And when you can be the observer, <laughs> that's how Eckhart totally talks about it. When you are the observer. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. Yeah, I almost fell asleep. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the, be the one watching yourself. All of a sudden, you have all the power. Because no longer are you the one spinning so fast on the merry-go-round that you're going to vomit. You're the one that's pushing the merry-go-round that's like, oh, this is interesting. Mm. You're having a vomitous experience. Mm. Self. So separating, that's like the first step of awareness. And so if you can catch yourself throughout your day, being vomiting on the, on the overwhelmed merry-go-round, step out and be like, I could be watching this or, or I could be experiencing this. How do I watch this? Mm. And it's a not easy, but it's a way to simulate what we do with cold or another way to access just our, our prefrontal cortex, asking questions, getting curious, will kick us out of the fight or flight. And we can notice way better when we don't think we're going to die. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I think that's the first thing to maybe just notice by yourself. Like, when do I feel like I'm going to die? Here's another thing I'd recommend. If, if you feel like one of those things that's impacting you a lot is your diet, right? We talked about that stimulation and maybe your diet's really bad. Maybe you use your diet as a way to avoid some of the discomfort from your stimulation level being too high or this too low. This is your chocolate stash in the bathroom. We're right? looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> that talk about conditioning. It's so tied to the food that we eat. Um, Absorb Plus was a big deal for me. And I want to tell you your, oh, yes, tell. your people Please about do. it. Well, and I want you to tell it too because you've seen it. But um, the basic level of this is that Absorb Plus, you can think of it as like a protein drink. But I came across Absorb Plus when I was so sick and almost dying and just needed food, needed sustenance that didn't kill me. And Absorb Plus <laughs> is not your typical protein shake. It's basically everything that your body needs to thrive. And it's delivered in a form that your body doesn't have to work to digest it. And that's a big deal, especially when you're in a state where you may be more collapsed, right? You just may be pretty sick or you may be so far down the path of like, I, I eat garbage, right? Maybe you're not even aware of it, right? But maybe you're going to that chocolate stash four or five times a day. No judgment doesn't make you a bad person, but it's affecting your health and it's affecting your mind. So, uh, And it's affecting your stimulation set point. Thank you. I appreciate that. Carry on. So for your listeners as well, I want to invite them, for my listeners and now for your listeners, to go to whatmagnificence.com and go under the products page and find Absorb Plus. And you can read about my experience with it. Um, and Absorb Plus has been so generous to offer a free sample to my listeners. So you can go there and order a free sample and just try it out and see if it's something that would be helpful. But it just takes that level off of what am I going to do? Like, this seems so big and so burdensome. Where can I start? That's a great place to start. And that's something you could do tomorrow too. Oh yeah, that's easy. That's a good one. What it's... did you notice? With you? Well, I mean, it saved my life, so it's hard to... Yeah, I feel like I discovered Absorb Plus when you were very sick in the hospital. Yeah, you, you were found on an elemental yeah. shake and I did lots of reading and lots of deciphering about like, there's got to be a better way. 
and you ordered it and I was like, I don't know. Yeah, we had it in our cupboard, I think, for probably six years. <laughs> and See, when- guys, like I was so far down that path, there was no awareness. I had no idea. I just had no idea. And that's okay. Right? It's so fine. Like that's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a conditioned pathway. But you can do stuff. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. So good. Nope. That's it. I feel like so when you started using it, when you you found it, I feel like you found it on your own again. Yeah. I don't think when I when you were searching for this that I even remembered or offered. Um but you found it again and you tried it and it it was a huge deal. It just gave you like biological clarity when you're starving you can't think like let's talk about a fight or flight (laughs) yeah when you're starving nutritionally Uh right and that can mean you have plenty of calories oh yeah that's a very or plenty or more calories but if they're empty calories you're still starving yep you're still not getting what you need yeah it was really great and i feel like even tonight we had traveled we were in our in our travel trailer having an epic road trip of a life and we got to our camping spot and I was hungry and I didn't know what to eat and nothing sounded good. And I have been experimenting with not having migraines by just switching some things up in my diet. And I wanted to make sure that I was eating clean and well. So I didn't want to just go for whatever sounded easy, but nothing sounded good. And Chase was like, have a scoop of absorbent some milk. And Sp- since it's so speaking of it easy really is good and good. <laughs> and I know that it's made out of ingredients that I can vouch for, which is a very high bar. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, uh, and and it absorbs well. It absorbs quickly. I don't crash after it. It's very good. Just gets you th- be- to the point where you can think again. So now, like, I can think, oh, maybe I can have some of the chicken that I sliced and put into the fridge. Like, I'm a- able to think through that and to let my body go there instead of just panic mode. Hmm. Anyway. That's great. That's good. Anyway, so I wanted to share that with you. Yeah, they're wonderful. Wonderful people. So check it out. Go to whatmagnificence.com. Go to the products page. You can find it there. I'll also link to it in the show notes. Carly, this has been enlightening. I love it. It's so cool how it's all tied together, right? Yep. Once that picture kind of comes into view and that awareness starts to click, those small things, like you didn't get sick overnight. It was piece by piece. It was autonomic trigger by autonomic trigger by autonomic trigger that gets you sick. It was autonomic trigger by autonomic trigger by autonomic trigger that got you to the point where you can't stand your mother-in-law in in your home, right? Whatever those are, and honestly, all those triggers lead to thoughts, which are feelings, which are conditioned pathways, right? Which trigger fight or flight which release chemicals, this cycle. And it's just bit by bit, just these little pings that start to destroy you. And as uncomfortable as that sounds, it's really encouraging news because as you start to unwind it, it's just those little things that start to unwind it. I always love talking to clients that I coach on their health. And and they're like, man, I'm feeling so much better. It's, un- it's incredible, right? Like all these symptoms are disappearing for them. And they're like, I just feel so much better. And my friends are seeing it, you know? And they're like, man, what are you doing? You look so much better. And you're like, yeah, I feel so much better. And like, what are you doing? Uh, I'm noticing my thoughts and I'm doing some breaths. <laughs> I'm, yeah, uh, I, I'm cold and breathing. And 
I, I, yeah, I feel things. <laughs> it's, it's everything. Just, but it's everything, guys. Like, it is everything. And the tools that you use, whether it's your home, your body, or just awareness of your family, all of these things are conditioning. All of these things are leading your autonomic nervous system to fire in certain ways. And you can use them instead of being maladaptive towards your health, mental or physical. Yes, both the same thing you can start to rewind it to a point where everything becomes adaptive and it becomes far more powerful than you ever thought it could be far more strong than you mm. thought it could be it's the magic it's the that's magic. when the magic kicks in and i think that's cool in a home setting because if you're feeling really overwhelmed when a guest comes over and your home's not perfectly clean or whatever those experiences can be equally as reinforcing to your biology as they are destructive currently Yes. All by changing your thoughts. All by changing your thoughts and letting your awareness change your biology. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you're welcome for being your guest. Thank you for being my <laughs> guest. Right back at you. You're awesome. You're awesome. If you're confused about designing your house, just start with your body. Start with your body and go to intentionalhouse.com for my listeners because Carly is amazing at what she does. And if you're having angst about that, that's where to start. <laughs> I got you, boo. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. Thanks. We'll see ya. Hey, if you love what you're hearing about how the environment and our autonomic nervous systems work together, your mind is going to be blown inside the Home Love Lab. This May, I'm teaching my negative design method, which is a way to integrate our thoughts, our biology, and our relationships into creating a house you love. This could be reorganizing the house you have. This could be starting to drop plans for your dream custom home. The negative design method works for any house conundrums. And even if you don't feel like it's a, if it's a conundrum, even if you just feel like it's a, something you're working through, something you're working on, a way that you're trying to upgrade your house, you need these principles. They are foundational for anyone with a house and a heart as they create home. The negative design method training drops May 1st. Join me to make your house your favorite tool for connection.